to the world of digital sound. Welcome, welcome, good people of the internet. This is Ken. This is another Ken Burton Forgotten podcast story. And this one, I believe, is number nine. I think it's number nine. Um, so let me just explain this uh, because I'm getting a lot of questions about this. If you are listening to this on Spotify or on iTunes or Podbean or wherever else you're listening to it, if you are listening to the MP3 version, the audio version, there is a video version. It's me in front of the camera talking and telling you this live. Uh, that is on my um, YouTube channel, which is Ken Burton UK. Okay, just to let you know, that clears up the confusion, right? I mean, we've got that. We've got that, right? Cool. Okay. Um, you'd be amazed how many people say this. You know, um, it's, oh, anyway. Uh, so, I haven't done one of these for a little while. The reason for that is very, very simple. I have had quite a rough time of it health-wise for a number of weeks. I have been really, really ill. And... Uh, I kind of recovered now, and in the midst of that, I changed jobs. Uh, I went to work for another um, uh, car dealership, so I'm out there, I'm selling cars, and it's been quite a strain. It has been quite a strain. Um, the fact that I, I don't particularly want to be a car salesman, I, I just couldn't find anything else um, and in the country at the moment in the UK especially it's just finding a job is just bloody impossible experience counts for nothing and if you're 50 plus you're fucked plus if you're white you're fucked so and male you're fucked so I am the enemy uh, for the most part I think for most people which is why um, the only job I can get is one of the hardest jobs you will ever do in your life, and that is sell cars. Uh, it is really, really difficult. It really is. I'd, if if it would pay me more than I'm earning now, I'd clean toilets for a living. I really would rather than do this. But there you go. Mm. Nice drop of wine. That it's late at night, by the way, which is uh, unusual because usually I do these uh, during the day or in the afternoon. Uh, but I've got this um, rather cheeky little number. There you go. Um, oh, God. I'm going to have to read it out now for the people that are listening to it on the podcast. So you're going to get to see me with my glasses on. Kumala Eternal 2018. A Chinon Blanc. A Chardonnay Semillon. Absolutely fine. Oh, Christ. Now he broke the fucking bottle. He broke the bottle. What a dick. Oh, shit. Right, okay. So, um, this podcast, uh, let's get, get, get this out of the way to start with. So, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to qualify this because, and this is my disclaimer, all parts of this podcast um, may or may not be true. It's up to you, the listener, to decide whether or not you think any of these are true any of these 110 podcasts that I've got now. Um, and if you want to make a comment, please do so on the YouTube channel. I do read it. I read it quite extensively. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's great to get your comments. I, I love reading them. Um, characters in this podcast may or may not be fictional. 
uh, all names have been changed. And trust me, in this one, all names were fucking changed. Because <laughs> honestly, if I use proper names in this, I'd tomorrow morning there'd be somebody outside my door with a gun. <laughs> I guarantee it. Guarantee it. Mm. Talking of guns, old friend of mine. Uh, really great guy. Really great guy. And uh, I I speak to him maybe once every six months. Now we had this mutual friend, um, and he he died. He got stabbed. He was in London for a night out with the boys, and he got stabbed. He he's actually he must be in his forties, his mid forties. But he went on some jolly for um, somebody's birthday and they went to London, they went to this place and that place, ended up at a club, came out of the club. He was um, arsehole, completely arsehole. Uh, for you, the, the American viewer, that means very drunk. And um, he took a knife and I couldn't believe it. And the thing is, my mate told me that he was buried within like a week and um, nobody was told. Absolutely nobody. Nobody from the old days was told because the family didn't want anybody from the old days to be there. And you see, that's, that's kind of the reputation we have. That, it's not a good thing really, but that, that's who we were. That's what we did. I mean, we were fag and gangsters. You know, we did things. We we saw things. We committed acts that would make your skin boil. You know, um, and tonight's podcast story is is you know one of those stories. There is violence in this. Uh, you know, it's it's one of the difficult ones. I was only reminded of it really because he got stabbed. And uh, when I was talking to my mate, I was, I need to get his name away then. He, he, he never speaks to me again. He's married now, kids and everything. And he, grown up kids. Um, but <laughs> he and I were talking and said, do you remember such and such? Now, in my podcast story, by the way, I'm calling him Marty. Uh, so I'll refer to him as Marty. That's not his real name. But um, he was saying, do you remember Nottingham? And uh, when, you know, the, uh, the guy with the knife. And I, I was like, Jesus Christ. And I had genuinely forgotten all about it. I shot a man. And yet I've forgotten about it. How fucked up is that? How fucked up is that? I, I probably shot my gun in anger um, less than 10 times. Less than 10 times. You think that I would remember all 10, especially as this one, the bullet actually connected. And I know it connected because I went up there and saw him. So you'd think 
I don't know. Maybe it's an age thing. Maybe it's an age thing. And a lot of you who are not sort of 50 years old um, won't, probably won't appreciate that. But, you know, you will get there. You will forget important things in your life. Um, and incidentally, I'll tell, I'll tell you a little story within a story. I went to America a number of times. Um, first time was working for Machinima. Second time, I was working for another company. And, you know, various various things that I did when I was out there. Uh, now, I got back and I had an incident. Nah, it's not the right word. It's not the right word. It wasn't an incident. It was a a period of time where I became completely and utterly depressed. Completely. And borderline suicidal. And for whatever reason, I was, I'll tell you this, I don't mind telling you this. I was diagnosed as being bipolar. Um, and that was a couple of years ago. So it was long after the American thing. But it, it kind of, it, it, it explains a lot because the highs, the lows, um, the way that I felt, the way that I feel, it, it kind of, it kind of explains where my head was at during certain periods of my life. And um, anyway, I'd, I'd taken this downward turn, massively, massively down. I couldn't get a job. I was out of work for probably about 11 months. And during those 11 months, my routine was, I get up late every morning, I check my computer, I watch something on TV, I have some lunch, and then I sleep all afternoon. And then I get up again, I have dinner, I play on the computer, watch some telly, and go to sleep. Rinse and repeat for 11 months. Um, after the first month, I realized that there was something drastically wrong. People were talking to me on Facebook. People were talking to me on the internet. People were sending me text messages. And I had absolutely no idea who they were. I couldn't remember things. I started to forget how to spell forgotten. Um, how to spell the, like the three or four ways you can spell there or they are or, you know, T-H-E-I-R, T-H-E-R-E, you know, and all that. I totally forgot that. And I forgot, I actually had a, a complete memory lapse of a particular period of being in America. Completely forgot it. Wasn't in my head. If people had said to me, and people did, did, did say to me, they contacted me and said, oh, do you remember we spoke uh, such and such when uh, you were in LA? And I was like, no, we didn't. 
I've never been there. I had been there. Completely blocked it out. Completely. And it's amazing what the human mind will do. I went through a, that period and th those memories, some of them came back, some of them didn't. Um, certain things like, uh, for instance, a holiday I took with my wife and son to a location, Spanish Island. I can't remember it. I can't remember anything about it. I remember holidays before. I remember holidays afterwards. But that particular holiday, completely gone. It's completely gone out of my head. That is just fucked up. That is just massively fucked up. I haven't got a clue, really, why. But this is what I mean about these podcast stories. Some of them, they're, they're all, all of my podcast stories are based in the 80s. The 80s, Coventry, what life was like, what we did, how we did it the people we were hanging around with, the times, the girls, the, uh, the, the whole thing. It was just brilliant. I remember so much. And yet certain aspects of even that are now starting to drift. And that kind of amazes me. But yeah, go, um, going back to the podcast story. Right, so... Um, I'd forgotten about this, um, genuinely, I'd forgotten about it. And it wasn't until Marty talked to me about it that I kind of started to recall it. And it didn't come back all at once. It was over a period. I'm gonna drink some wine. Apologies if you're listening to the audio of this, because you can't see that I'm drinking wine, but I am drinking wine. Hold on a sec. Mmm, slurpy. So, um, over a period of me being ill, I've thought about this a lot and um, kind of came to the conclusion that, is there a story there? But I'm going to tell it anyway. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Okay, here we go. So, this is called, it's number nine, it's Forgotten the college stabbing okay that's what this particular one is called now this involves um a number of people and i'll just i'll just explain who these people are this involves um stan now if you've listened to any of the other podcasts you'll know of the family that basically ran every illegal activity in coventry and occasionally I did work for them. Fag end work. Watch this. Go and stand over there. <laughs> you know, it was fag end work. Um, now, one of the um, younger members of the family was at college in Coventry, and his name was Stan. Stan must have been, did his A-levels, so I guess he was about 19. I met him. I met him probably once every three or four months uh, events and he might come down the pub or whatever now he had a great mate called George now I didn't know George uh, but they were both on the same engineering course and uh, they'd been at college I think it was his second year that he was there 
but he was working up to some sort of weird and wonderful qualification, whatever it was. I think in those days it was a, it was a CNC, I think. can't remember. Anyway, so Stan and George, all right? Not their real names. For fear of my life. <laughs> so Stan and George, right, are at college. Um, now, it's pub night. Of course it's pub night. It's pub night most nights. And me and the boys, Marty, we're all in the pub and uh, somebody comes over, one of, one of the girls comes over and she said, you know, general chit chat, are you going to a club tonight? Which club are you going to? Are you going back to Ken's? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And uh, then she said, uh, oh, did you hear about Stan? I said, no. I said, what was that? She said, oh God, there was a stabbing at the college. And we were like, are you fucking joking me? This like, this was like a posh college. What, what the fuck? Well, I say it was a posh college. There was actually two colleges in one because one of the college, well, three, one of the college, one of, one of the wings of the college was dedicated to engineering and technology. Another wing of the college, there were loads of girls and they were all doing sociology and various other psychology and all that. And then there was the shit end of the college and there was a bunch of hairy ass kids in there learning how to be mechanics. All right. So three aspects to this college. And uh, we said, you know, Jesus, who was it? He said it was George. I said, who the fuck's George? Stan's mate. You remember Stan's best mate? You brought him to that do a couple of weeks ago. Oh, fucking hell, what? George, Jesus. You'd expect, you know, a lot, but young, quiet, posh lad like him. No way. I said, is he all right? I said, well, he's taken one to the gut, so, you know, could be a bit touch and go. And we were like, Jesus, you know. Anyway, we, we carried on. We had a chat about it. Went to the nightclub. We got pissed. We got uh, some new friends. <laughs> we all went back to my place. Everybody fell asleep on the floor and in the bath. And oh God, chaos ensued. When it was a big night like that, when you got maybe 30 people around my flat and you could sleep, let's see now, you got sofa, uh, two sofas, You've got the double bed. You've got the two single beds in the other room. So maybe five people comfortably. <laughs> and uh, there you go. Uh, five, six. Uh, there you go. Um, this this is kind of the way it went. And um, you wake up in the morning. The most awful hangovers in the world ever. Uh, straight to the kitchen to try and find the Alka-Seltzer because they hadn't invented excess in those days. Oh God, just give me something that's going to make me throw up and you'd be on the Alka-Seltzer, but you walk in the kitchen, there's seven people in there, in a kitchen big enough for two. You go, oh, for fuck's sake, I live here, people, go home, please go home. But um, oh, that's, that's just the way it was. Anyway, a couple of days later, we're back in the pub. Mm, more drink. Mm. And um, somebody um, somebody says, have you heard what's happened? I said, no, what? 
says Stan is taking a knife across the face. And we were like, get the fuck out of town. With the power that his dad has, you've got to be fucking mental. You, you have to be more mental than Charles Manson and Fred West combined to do something like that. You are going to die. There is no two ways about it. And it doesn't matter where you go, how you get out of the country, or how far you travel, you are going to die because they will kill you. All right? Easy as that. So Stan's taken one across the face. Now, from what I saw afterwards, and it was a long time afterwards, he'd actually got um, a scar going from... Trying to get this on camera, sorry. His left eye, just to the left of his left eye, all the way down his cheek and across his mouth to his chin. Um, because he had the scar. Although, over the years... He had uh, a fair amount of surgery to get rid of it. I'm going to light a fag up, sorry. Mm. Smoky. I've started smoking these. Um, Benton and Hedges Jewel, by the way. Um, only because there's a little popper in the filter. And if you click it, you get menthol. And because of the fact I've been ill, I've been trying not to smoke. But when I have had to smoke, I've been smoking menthol. Anyway, so... Um, we hear about this and uh, we're all kind of intrigued and thinking, fuck me, we are all going to get asked to get involved in this, all of us. They're going to hunt this fucker down. They are going to pull out his fingernails. This guy is going to take four days to die. All right. He just is. That is going to happen, whoever has done this. And uh, that's kind of, you know, that was the way it was. So anyway, um, so we're talking about this for most of the night. And it is the talk of Coventry. Like, everybody's talking about it. Everyone you talk to, gee about Stan. Gee about Stan. Yeah, we heard about Stan. <coughs> Who do you reckon it is? What do you reckon is going to happen? So uh, we heard about this for all night. All night around there. So following day, we're back at my place, right, in the morning. Elka Salsa, kitchen, seven people, find your way through, go into the toilet, some fuckers asleep on the toilet. <laughs> Usual story, open the, open the door to my flat, knock on the neighbour's front door, and the neighbour would go, she was a lovely lady, do you want to use the toilet, Ken? <laughs> yes, please. All right, you know where it is? Yeah, I do, thanks very much. All right, me love. Do you want a cup of tea? I'd love a cup of tea, Mavis. Thank you. Her name was Mavis, by the way. She died. That's why I can use her name. Lovely, lovely lady. Lovely lady. She'd lost her husband um, about a year before. Lovely lady, before I met her. Um, any, anyway, um, so... <laughs> oh, God. When you're going to invite me to one of your parties? Oh, every fucking week she'd say that. Anyway, um, so, usual story, we're getting all this. And um, I, I get out of Mavis's, uh, go back to mine, and uh, there's some guy stood at my front door. And I didn't really recognise him. And I said, can I help? And he said, oh, yeah. Uh, he said, I'm... Um, uh, I've come with a message on uh, behalf of such and such, and that was a member of the family. 
He said, can you guys meet in the pub tonight? And I thought, here we go. Here we go, kiddo. So I shook the guy's hand and asked him if he wanted to come in. Uh, but he didn't. And I don't blame him, to be honest. The smell of fart coming from my flat was pretty, pretty awesomely amazing. And uh, he left. So, you know, we're... Um, we go down to uh, the warehouse uh, uh, after being at the pub because as soon as we got to the pub, we were told everybody's meeting at the warehouse. Family want to have a word. So we went down to the warehouse, got some bottles of beer with us. Um, when we got there, bottles of beer, bottles of scotch, you know, family got up and said, um, right, you all know what's happened. Said it's no secret. We need to catch this bastard but we have got no fucking idea what this is about. Um, George said it was a random attack. Stan says it's a random attack. We obviously don't believe it. They are either targeting George and Stan directly or they're targeting the family because of the connection. Either way, we need to find out. And this family member said, quite senior bloke, all I'm saying is, don't get yourself pissed out your brains. Be on call, because I might need you. And then he went on to tell us about Baz and Steph. Now, Baz, we knew Baz. Baz was an enforcer for the family. He, God, he was a debt collector. He'd um, worked for them for years. Really, really fit guy. He was a complete fucking 007 man. Really good looking bloke gym every night he was an expert in fucking karate or whatever it was <coughs> he was absolutely you know snap knicker elastic 50 paces mate easy as that uh, that's probably not politically correct now is it he might have been gay actually mm. god wouldn't that have been something uh anyway um so they tell us about baz and steph who are going to be placed in the college, who are going to be finding out what's happening. As soon as they get a lead or a rumble, we're going to have to act on it. He said that might take five of you, it might take 10 of you, or it might take the 50 of you that are in this room now. And, uh, oh, let me tell you about Steph. Steph ran um, quite a few of the brothels. She was like the overseer uh, for the madams. She was, Jesus, how do you describe her? Do you, do you ever watch Dog the Bounty Hunter? His um, wife, she was like that. She, she was rough as fucking gobshite. And, she, oh, she was just the most unnatural woman. There wasn't a feminine thing about Steph. Not a single feminine thing about her. She burped, she farted, she smoked, she drank, she swore like a fucking trooper. Steph was, she, she missed her, her vocation. She should have been a, a, she should have been a bloke. She should have been. And had she been a bloke, I'm pretty sure she'd have been a wrestler. She was that sort of person. She wasn't fat. She was just fucking big. <laughs> big bones they used to say but Jesus you wouldn't say boo to her you really wouldn't you shit yourself I would anyway mm. 
Mm. Ah, Wayne. So, uh, anyway, that's who Steph was. Now, Steph and Baz were going into the college. Uh, they were in there possibly about a week. I guess it was about a week when um, they reported back and we heard through official channels, but certainly through the grapevine, that this college had a major fucking drug problem. Now, that came right out of left field. I, I wouldn't have guessed that drugs in that college, no, it, it, it just doesn't work. just doesn't work. But apparently, they've got a major drug problem. And um, uh, Baz and Steph um, basically can't get any information out of anybody. Nobody's talking. Loads of these kids, from the mechanics to the girls on sociology to the engineering guys, are all taking drugs. Now, I don't know what drugs they were, but it certainly wasn't, you know, a little smoke every now and then. It was serious fucking stuff. I think a lot of it was pills, uppers. Um, and you can understand it from, especially when you're doing an engineering degree. I mean, that's fucking hard, you know. Um, the mechanics were taking it recreationally, and I think they were on powders. Um, and the girls certainly were all, you know, so no one was talking. So the, the what the family decided was that the, the Baz uh, was basically him and Steph were going to try to buy some drugs, and whoever they they found that would sell them, um, that's the guy they were going to grab when college ended, and that's exactly what they did. They grabbed a guy and took him to the warehouse. Uh, this guy lasted all of three seconds before he started giving names, all right? Um, and the names that he gave were other students higher up the chain who were dealing. And a number of them got grabbed and were taken to the warehouse. And again, it didn't take more than three seconds for them to start talking. And one of them knew who the supplier was. Now, the supplier in this case was a single guy that was, uh, he lived, he wasn't at the college, he lived somewhere else. He went to the college with a rucksack on his shoulder, looking as though he, you know, fucking been there on a course or whatever. And then uh, they would all meet up at a predetermined location. This guy would dish out his drugs um, and, and collect his money. And this is what he did. And um, <laughs> as soon as we knew the name, that was it. They hunted high and low for this guy. Couldn't find him. What they did find was more names up the chain. And one in particular knew this guy from old um, and had some addresses or some areas uh, that, that this guy was dealing in. And what the family decided was that um, we would split up and that it, 
there was a lot of us. I mean, there must have been maybe 30. It was more than likely that this guy was in London. So 10 people got sent to London to addresses. It was um, quite likely that he was in Birmingham. So 10 people got sent to Birmingham to various places. Um, there was a possibility that he was in Nottingham. So um, I was sent up to Nottingham with uh, Marty, uh, just the two of us. And um, <laughs> whether or not somebody thought that we weren't tough enough, brave enough, or had the balls for it, uh, they sent Steph with us. <laughs> and we all travelled up to Nottingham. It took us an hour and a half, two hours to get there. And we had this address. Uh, there was no sat-nav in those days, so we were using maps. And we sat outside this address. Well, we'd probably got there about six o'clock at night and there wasn't any movement to and from the house, uh, but lights went on and then lights went off. So we slept in the car, uh, having to put up with Steph's farting half the night, um, which she, <laughs> which she did in her sleep. I'm in the driver's seat. Marty is in the passenger seat. We've both got this, the backs of the seats down so we can get some kip. She's lying on the back seat of the car going... Jesus Christ. And of course we'd have to open the window. And it wasn't particularly warm. And the, the next thing we know is... Shut that fucking window, you fucking cunt. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, she was just awful. Anyway, so um, uh, we we needed something to eat. So we sent Marty off to go and find the nearest uh, cafe or bakery or whatever and get some food. And um, probably it was about 7 o'clock in the morning um, when... Uh, we saw the front door go. Now we're chomping at the bacon sandwiches and cups of tea. And we got a description of this guy and a name. That was it. We hadn't got a photograph. Um, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't pick him out of a lineup. So, um, but it, it, it matched the description, sort of. Same height, same hair colour, same build, um, white guy, uh, probably 30, and it just matched, it just matched. This guy came out of his house, went wandering off down the road. I followed him, and uh, <laughs> he went to local news agent, he, I went in, he grabbed some fags, he grabbed a paper, he got a bottle of milk and then left. And I followed him. Uh, he went back to the house, went in, and uh, I got in the car, reported back. So we, first thing we did was we made a phone call and we phoned the family. And um, we, did, we couldn't confirm that it was him and that was our biggest problem. 
and Steph wants to confirm that it's him. She's sick of waiting around in the car. We were sick of her farts, to be honest, but we're sick of waiting around. So she says, well, I'll just go up there, make some excuse, and go and uh, talk to him. And uh, we said, well, you know, you can't go in on your own. If this is the knife man, and we didn't know whether or not it was, if this is the knife man, then, you know, you could find yourself in real trouble in there. And she said, no, you, you two sit in the car. I'll go up to the front door. I'll get this fucker's name, right? I'll get his name. I'll make an excuse, she said, about um, debt collecting or whatever, and I'll ask him to prove his identity. So what she was, it's an old trick. What she was going to do was go up to the door and say, does Tom Hardy live here? Whoever. And uh, he would say no. And she would say, well, look, I've got a debt collectors on the way to clear the flat out is it your is it you know the house out is it your house and he said well i live here so well look can you just prove your identity and we'll go away and i'll call these guys off more often than not he pulls out a driving license all right easy as that then you've got the fucker's name it worked nine times out of ten so anyway she went up to the front door She's talking and talking and talking, and then she goes in, and the door shuts. And we're just thinking, fucking hell, Steph. What are we supposed to do now? Do we follow her in? Do we wait? Do we do what? So anyway, we keep watching. It must have been close to an hour, all right? And uh, the next thing we know, the front door opens at a rapid rate of knots. This guy comes running out of his front door and legs it down the road. Uh, oh, you want to know the rest? Oh, right, okay. Well, let me pour myself some glass of wine. Pour myself some glass of wine. Is that even a sentence? Jesus. Hold on. Glip, 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 glip. I'm not working tomorrow, which would be nice. Because I work six days a week, which is another bugbear of working in the car industry. Uh, anyway, right, so, um, guy comes out, goes running down the street. We don't know what's happened to Steph. I must admit, I didn't particularly care what happened to Steph. Um, but we don't know what's happened to Steph. So I shouted to Marty, you check on Steph, I'll go after him. And I go legging it down the road. Now, in those days, as a 20-something young man, I was fairly fit and healthy. Even though I did drink, I still, you know, I worked out. I did me weights. You know, I, I, I did um, a bit of uh, a bit of the old punch bag. I did a lot of the old punch bag. Um, so, I'm chasing this guy. But he's fairly fit. And this chase goes on for quite a while. And then we go over a bridge. Other side of the bridge, on the right, shitload of waste ground, river, woods. And I'm thinking, you get to the fucking woods, mate, and I've lost you. So I, I just had absolutely no option. I wasn't catching up with this guy. If anything, he was getting away from me. We'd probably ran quarter of a mile, half a mile across this waste ground. And I thought, fuck this. I stopped, took out my gun, 
and I fired a warning shot in the air. And this guy keeps running. And I'm just thinking, fuck. Absolute fuck. I'm out of breath. I can't hold the gun steady. I need to, I need to compose myself. Meanwhile, this guy is getting further and further away from me. There is no way I'm going to make the shot. No way. But I'm thinking, aim low and wing him. Go for his legs. So I composed myself. I took aim. Just one more bullet to wing him. Bang. He goes down. I haven't got the first fucking clue where this bullet has hit him. I could have killed him. Could easily have killed him. I go over and I see the most delightful sight in the world. I've shot him in the ass. I have shot him in a fucking butt cheek. And he is screaming. He has got blood all over his jeans. You can see the hole where the bullet's gone in. I couldn't have done that better with a sniper rifle. <laughs> it was the luckiest fucking shot I have ever, ever done in my life. Um, but he's screaming blue murder. So I basically, I kicked him and I told him to shut the fuck up and point the gun at his head. And uh, I told him just to stay, stay quiet and wait. And I had to compose myself. I had to think. Um, I just needed to take a minute. First thing that occurred to me, surroundings. Is there anybody or is it possible that people have heard this gunshot? And the fact is that yes, they could. There were houses, they weren't nearby, but there were houses. It's very possible people could have been walking their dogs in the woods. Anyone that was anywhere near the bridge was way too far away. They would have thought it was a car backfiring, something like that. Uh, but and bear in mind, I'd, I've only got my bloody um, Beretta. That's all I had was my 45 Beretta. I mean, it's not as if this thing is the quietest of guns <laughs> you've ever heard in your life. While I'm thinking these things through and looking for my escape route, should anyone shout, I see Stefan Marty coming along. She's holding her arm. It's pissing with blood. He's fucking knifed her. He's knifed her. So I'm looking to Steph as perhaps the most senior member to say what we're going to do next. And she just said to me, give me a gun. And I was, oh, right. And I just handed it over to her. She popped him straight in the head. Just fucking popped him. Bang. Straight in the head. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. She handed me back the gun. 
And then Marty went, come on. I was in shock. I think for a moment, I was in shock. Had I have expected it, then it would have been something. It was just the the sheer nature of the event that kind of just stuck me for a, a good couple of minutes. Anyway, come to my senses, we start legging it, we're running. Okay. Um, we went under the bridge, we went a couple of ways, through a couple of streets, and then a couple of alleyways as well. Um, and um, we got back to the car. We got in the car. Um, and we, we uh, grab um, a cloth I used to clean the windows. And we wrap it around Steph's wound. And she had like a t-shirt, long t-shirt thing on. And you could see the cut below the t-shirt. And it was quite, but she was kind of just like holding it together. And then we phoned in. And we were told, get back to the warehouse. And we did. So we took the two hour journey back to Coventry. When we got back to the warehouse, there was a doctor and a nurse waiting for Steph. And they treated her wounds. They were treating her wounds upstairs. Um, this this warehouse had one of those silly stairwells and a, a little like port cabin office at the top. So they took her upstairs and started treating her. And um, <laughs> we're looking at seven people tied to chairs. And I, I said to um, Stan's dad, I said, uh, I said, um, Steph popped him. And he said, Steph said you shot him first. I said, yeah, well, I winged him. And he shook my hand and he very, very sincerely thanked me. <sighs> okay. So I, I, I wanted to change the subject. I didn't want to talk about the dead guy. And I, I, I said to Stan's dad, I said, who we got here? And he said, um, these two are the muscle for your dealer friend up north in Nottingham. And I just looked at them and for for two fairly fit young guys who looked like utter hard men, they looked scared to fucking death. And I have to say with good reason. I, I wouldn't imagine they died slowly, but I would imagine that they died. But it was, 
there was some talk afterwards that during the interrogation of these seven guys, all seven of them would have died. All seven. No doubt. Some quickly, some slowly. During the interrogation of these guys, somebody that was there, um, muscle for the family, told me afterwards that these guys were saying that Stan and George were basically taught a lesson over money that they owed to the dealer and that they were both dealing at a lower level themselves. Never found out how true that was. Made a lot of sense though. And they were taught a lesson. One of them got stabbed in the stomach and the other one, um, Stan, wasn't happy about it, confronted one of the muscle or the dealer um, or the supplier, as we call them, and um, took a knife to the face. Don't know. Crazy, crazy thing when you think about it. Though. Now, I met Stan maybe five times over the next two or three years. Uh, and then Stan went away. Um, as in prison. I can't remember what it was for. I think it was, it was something to do with the money laundering thing. But he never finished his degree. Never did finish his engineering course. Um, never knew what happened to George. But there you go. That's what happens. Now the worst of it for me was that I had to then go to what we called the armory. I know it sounds crazy, but it was a, a guy in a house in a little village um, down from Willanall and um, he basically in his shed would make guns. He, he would either get supplied with um, uh, guns that have been made safe, I, don't know, I forget what you call them now, where they weld the barrel and all that shit. He would be supplied with those and then he would re-engineer them back to being proper guns. So I, I had to go and see him. We called him the armourer. Um, and uh, he destroyed my old gun for me. And I had to buy a new one, which cost somewhere in the region of £500, which was a fuck ton of money in those days. I tell you, you could buy a really good car for 500 quid back then. Um, so I wasn't particularly impressed. Now, luckily, I did get paid and it did cover the cost of the gun. And as I, as I kind of relive these stories and remember them, a lot of the time, a lot of innocent people got hurt. A lot of not so innocent people got hurt. And I felt bad about every one of them. 
him I don't feel bad about at all at all he was a drug dealer and to be frank you live by the sword there's a good chance you're going to fucking die by it that's the lesson that's the moral here you be a cunt people will be a cunt to you I know I am that cunt but the older I've got and thinking about it over the past week I've got no sympathy for that bloke whatsoever or in the slightest shit happens you take that path shit happens but that's probably the end of our story then I told you that this one I don't feel like this was was much of a story really it should be it should be bigger than it was because I actually fired that gun and it hit him and I might have been aiming to wing him but I could have put it straight through his fucking head how mad is that how times change how people change how mentality changes this has been Ken this has been the podcast story the college stabbing sounds like uh, something out of Agatha Christie doesn't it I hope you enjoyed this one guys uh, please do leave a comment on the YouTube video be more than happy to read it and reply and uh, as ever I will get back to my cigarette, my wine, and I will see you on the dark side. Stay safe. Take care, guys. Welcome to the world of digital sound. Shutting down all systems.